You're listening to Don't Repeat This, the show where we talk about the stuff you are not supposed to bring up at the dinner table. I'm Nate. I'm Vicky. I'm Gail. And our topic today is deconstructing from Catholicism. Uh, so today's guest is our friend and Vicky's sister, Emily. Um, so one of the topics we often talk about is transitioning from various tr faith traditions or leaving different faith traditions behind. And I think it's important to hear individual stories of those kinds of transitions. Um, in some past episodes, Gail and I have actually shared our stories of moving away from evangelical Christianity. So today we thought it would be great to hear a bit of Emily and Vicky's stories of moving out of Catholic Christianity. Uh, so I guess we can start off with sharing a little bit about your journey out of Catholicism, perhaps as a religion. Uh, do you still consider yourself Catholic, or have you decided to let go of the label? And I guess, Emily, if you if you want to start, and then Vicky can, can follow up. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, no, just to start off, I wouldn't consider myself a Catholic. I don't really have a... I don't... I wouldn't give myself a label for any kind of religion. Like, I'm not sure if you would consider that being an atheist. It's not so that I don't believe in anything. I, it, nothing really just... I. I'm not focused on anything spiritually at the moment. Um, like I grew up super religious and I think it's interesting because a lot of the people around me were super religious and our parents were the ones that like told us that we should grow up and be Catholic. They went to Catholic school. They were super proud of it yet. They'd never practiced Catholic being a Catholic. They never went to mass. It was like, we would go to mass with our grandpa and that would make him happy. And I was like, how are you a Catholic? And you're so proud about being a Catholic yet you don't even go and practice or pray or show how you are devoted. Like you say you are. And I think there's like a certain, um, when you say you're a Catholic or like an Irish Catholic, it's, there's some kind of pride behind it. But I feel like a lot of the Irish Catholics that I've been around my whole life are not the most um, holy people, I guess you could <laughs> say. And um, I think it's really interesting how it's they're almost contradicting what they say they believe in or they say that they've believed in their whole life. And then by the time you hit adulthood, it's just not a part of your life anymore. But for some reason, your kids have to still practice it and be a good Catholic. Um, so I guess that's probably a good start with what I have to say. I don't know if you guys have questions or if maybe Victoria feel the same. I don't know. Yeah, I've definitely had a different experience from you because I think growing up, um, when I was really young, I used to go to church with Nanny and Grandpa, um, who are two different people from Grandpa who took you to church. So um, I used to go on Sunday, um, you know, with my grandparents, but my the, our, my parents were never really involved. <laughs> it was just something that you do to make your grandparents happy. Um, and I never really felt connected to it. I think now I identify like culturally as a Catholic. And this is something that Gail and I kind of were hashing out last night. We had a conversation about being a cultural Christian versus being like a very devout spiritual Christian. And 
Um, I definitely feel like culturally, like I'm an Irish Catholic person, but I don't subscribe to sort of the dogma and the beliefs that are associated with Catholicism, um, particularly the ones that are uh, incredibly restrictive towards women um, and towards, you know, the LGBTQ community, for example. Um, There's just a lot of policies that I don't necessarily agree with. So by that token, I can't really consider myself a Catholic. Also, I haven't been in a Catholic church in like over 10 years. Yeah. So so that's another reason why I'm not really a Catholic. But I do say, I think like, um, you know, as far as a faith tradition, that's the one that I know the best. (laughs) Which I think you brought up like an interesting point about like, the role of women in the Catholic church, I think was interesting. And it was something I was like super blind to in the beginning. Um, Like I used to go with grandpa, the one that lived with us. And it was just really nice. Like we'd go, I'd help him out reading his prayers. We'd go to mass. It was just, it ended up just being a thing where it was just him and I, like he was the one that helped me get confirmed. And like, I think it was a very, um, it was enriching to our relationship, I think. And then, um, so like our parents got divorced and I'll never forget when mom was like, I don't, if you get divorced and you're a Catholic, you're excommunicated from the church. And she was just like, I never realized how bad that is, right? Like, why should I be harmed from the church for being divorced? And I thought that was really interesting. And then she wrote a whole article about female priests, and then she posted it and published it for the news, which I thought was really interesting. And I was like, yeah, why Why did I just waste? Not, I, I mean, I shouldn't use the word waste, but why did I devote so much time into something I was so blind. There were so many problems that I was so blinded to. And I think that was like a super eye-opening moment. Like when our parents got divorced, our grandparents passed away. It was like, why did I like spend hours of praying, hours of studying the Bible? At one point, I wanted to be a nun. I really thought that I could just leave all these issues that were happening in my life and just travel somewhere out of the country, be a nun, because I was so unsatisfied with like, maybe I'm not praying enough, right? Like maybe I'm not reading the Bible enough, or maybe I'm not focused and in tune enough when I go to mass that this is why all these bad things are happening. And it was just so draining. It was, and then it came to a point where it's like, why am I doing this to myself? I'm punishing myself for not praying enough. Mm -hmm. And then I have to go repent my sins. But if I say a few Hail Marys, then I'll be fine. It just like did not make any sense to me. And then all of these controversies came out from the Catholic church. And I was like, I can't be associated with this. It was something where it was just like, I'm done. I thank you so much, by the way, Emily, for, for getting into some of your personal journey. I'm wondering, as I'm listening to you, you talked about going to confirmation and all the time you spent in church wanting to be a nun. Do you, would you mind, would you mind painting for me a picture of Emily, before it kind of came to a breaking point, what did that look like to be super devoted to spirit? But when, if you were to kind of look at past you with maybe a lens of compassion and that you only knew what you knew then. I mean, that's something Vicky has said to me when I've been in those kind of modes of like, oh, like past me. And yeah, that idea that everybody only knows what they know at the time. Um, So if you're going to look at, you know, younger you before you got to the point of I'm done with this, what did being super devoted to church look like for you? What did that Emily look like if you were to kind of paint a picture of her? 
So I think like the most devoted I was when I was probably from like 12 to 14, which looking at it now is so interesting, right? When you're 12 years old, you're not thinking about praying for an hour before bed every night. That's not a thing. Like when you're 12, you're probably sneaking watching TV at night when you should be asleep or studying. So like from 12 to 14, I think probably because that's when I got confirmed. I got confirmed when I was 13. That was like, we're going on a spiritual journey. I remember I went to um, the bottom of St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, and there was like a bunch of dead people underneath the altar. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. And I'm like, this is a, pe looking back on it now, like I was looking at just dead people and I was just so refreshed by it, right? <laughs> and it was just like, I remember I used to go to mass and just like cry because I was just so overwhelmed with joy and happiness. And like, I think when you're 12 to 14, especially for a girl, you're so hormonal and angsty and you're trying to find something that makes you happy. And for me, it was just like spending an hour in a church every Sunday to just like reset my mind and body and spirit for the week ahead of school. And I think that like, really look, at <laughs> It was just so weird. And people around me were starting to get into that partying phase, right? Like once you hit like 14, you're fresh into high school and 15. Um, yeah, I would say up until I turned 16, that's when I was, I just stopped. But um, everybody around me was partying and it was like, no, I'm going to go home and study and then pray and go to sleep and wake up and go running in the morning like looking back it was just like i was so self-disciplined with myself right it got to the point where i would just like be on my own and just do my own thing and a lot of times like my parents would be like you're like a young adult like you were an adult when you were like 10 and i'm like i think it's because i just felt like i had to like i don't know I guess just protect myself and that was a way that I felt protected if I could stay devoted to God he would protect me the whole it would no matter what anything bad was happening and yeah it was just so weird because now I didn't I never drank alcohol in high school at all when everyone was partying I never went to parties the first party I ever went to in my life and I'm a very social person first party I ever went to in my life was the summer after I graduated high school after I like fully came out of this shell because drinking and doing drugs and like even having sex, that was all against what I should have been doing, right? That's not what a real Catholic does. So I just, it wasn't a thing for me. It was yeah, very also, weird. I, also like in our town, there was nothing to do because it was a very rural town. We didn't have a movie theater. We didn't have a like a place, like a downtown area to go shopping. There were no like restaurants at the time. There was no, there was nothing to do. So what did people do when there's nothing to do and you live in the woods? You, like, go to the woods and, like, get high or get drunk or go to... Like, we literally, a woods parties were a huge thing. Yeah, people go out into the woods and, like, have these big raging parties. But to and, me, that was shame... That I would be shamed for during that, right? Like, yeah. who? Who would I... I'd just be hanging out with my friends, but I didn't do it because I felt bad. Yeah. And I think that's like a big part of Catholicism um, is that's like a, a way of maintaining control is like Catholic guilt, right? You're supposed to feel um, like you're being watched at all times. Like there's a there's a 
list of all of your sins somewhere. Someone's keeping a list like Santa Claus, like God is keeping a list of every sin that you've ever done. And you have to do things to erase them from the list. You have to go to confession. You have to do the rosary. You have to go to church. Like there's all sorts of things that you have to do to like eliminate (laughs) those sins. Um, So yeah, I can imagine that 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 was very draining (laughs) emotionally on you all the time. Like WWJD, what would Jesus do? I had a bracelet that said that. (laughs) Like if you were told that when you were seven years old, you always have to think, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? For like the next 10 years, that's all you're going to think about. Would Jesus drink a beer in the woods? No. (laughs) And I think that's just super, like, it is almost brainwashing in my opinion. And now I don't have this guilt, right? Like, I don't have to be worried about, oh, if I want to drink a beer, I'm not doing, I'm, it's not bad. You know what I mean? I think Jesus would drink a beer. I, I, think d- he, I also I think, think that. Party. <laughs> I think he would too. I first, think he was he was all about making wine out of water. At that was his first miracle, right? Yeah. That was actually the first miracle he did was turn the water into wine for, for a party. So that's. Uh, Which I think also, like, when you said that made me think of something. I was so strict about not drinking for whatever reason that I never drank wine at communion ever in my life. I've never. I, I never did either. I thought it was bad. I was. I think we I were told it that it was. It, it was like a trick. Like <laughs> it's bad. It's not for you. It's it's for bad. It's for people. the adults or the yeah. 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 <laughs> That's so interesting. In evangelical churches too, there are some that don't uh, give wine. We do uh, communion as well, and and there are some that do. But there's definitely some where it's like Nate. Yours was no wine, most, right? Most churches, at least most evangelical churches that I was connected to they used grape juice grape juice instead of wine yeah yeah and the church i grew up in any kind of alcoholic beverage was considered absolutely off limits for all christians everywhere that's interesting i think yeah. i mine was italian pentecostal so they had wine <laughs> wouldn't have gotten away with that. They, they couldn't get away with that but i want to get back to uh, like it really it's so interesting and fascinating for me the big transition you've gone through and i want to get to like um the parts that are maybe more difficult but maybe i'm trying to start at the beginning and paint a picture of your journey so this might actually be a harder one i'm not sure but what are the best memories of catholic church that you might miss or still appreciate or is there anything that falls into that category category for you, Emily. I honestly think like I do miss like the meditative aspect of it, right? You could go into this beautiful building for an hour, not be bothered by anybody, no distractions. It's nice and quiet. And for me, who's I'm always running like a million miles a minute, like everything distracts me. I get worked up very easily. So when I could go and just sit there and be quiet and sit still, that's something I do miss because it was something that could just calm me down for the week ahead and I could just sit there with my own thoughts, right? Um, and I do miss that. I remember for like my confirmation, like we had to do all these different projects and events and we had a guided meditation and that was like one of my favorite memories, I think. Um, stuff that I do miss because I did go my first year and a half of college was at a catholic school and they had a convent there with nuns and i used to hang out with some of them and if i was stressed in between classes i would stop at the chapel and pray for a few minutes and sometimes ask myself why am i here praying but was it just because i needed to sit and be quiet in a room to like calm down um and i i know that like 
something that is really good about the Catholic Church that I know other churches do is they're super devoted to like giving back to the community and volunteering. And so I remember I used to do like prep for like midnight runs. So if people would go on a midnight run in the city, I'd help like prep care packages with like food and like socks and gloves and underwear for people. So I thought that was really cool and special that um, we devoted so much time. I remember um, getting ready for my confirmation. We did a huge um, baby drive for mothers that couldn't afford like diapers and like food for their babies and toys and even like teething items because they had nothing to give to their babies. So I think that was really special. And, and, and it is like a humbling experience because something as simple as a peanut butter sandwich or like a 12 pack of diapers can go such a long way for people who don't have it. And I think that was really special for me. Thank you. Vicki, how about you? Was there anything that you appreciate still or that you might miss? I miss the like physical sensations of being in church. So Catholic church is really different from FCC in all of the phys- like the this it's very sensory. So you walk in, the first thing that you do is you genuflect. So you put um, holy water in your white right hand, and you make the sign of the cross. And so you feel the cold water on your forehead, and that's kind of like okay, you're here, <laughs> like you're in church. Then you walk to the pew where you're gonna sit. You kneel and you genuflect again. Um, so now it's like, this is where I'm going to sit. I've marked <laughs> my territory, so to speak. And then and then you go into the pew, and um, before Mass starts, you kneel again. You pull out, like, the little kneely thing. I don't, is there a word for that? That little, like, kneel? There's, like, a kneel thing, and it's, it's usually cushioned. And you say a prayer before Mass starts if you have time. And then... Um, it's a lot of like sitting, standing, kneeling, sitting, standing, kneeling, sitting, standing, kneeling. There's incense, um, on certain holy days. There's, they like have holy water in a sprinkler thing that they like throw at you. (laughs) Yeah. They like flick you with holy water. Um, and so, and it is very meditative. So it's this very physical, it's also really theatrical for church, um, yeah um compared to fcc it's very like it's a production like the priest comes out and he's wearing this like beautiful golden robe and like there's sometimes multiple priests and they chant and it's very um you kind of even if you don't understand the the scripture which is like (laughs) me like i wasn't really paying attention to scripture at all it's kind of a spectacle and it's really nice um once a week like you said emily to go and to like feel the holy water and to smell the incense and to see that beautiful building and just be quiet and be still for an hour um and when i was doing my first um like yoga meditation training um it started at i think like 9 a.m and it was at columbus circle in new york city and there is a catholic church that was like a block away and they would be having mass before so sometimes I would get there early and I would go and light a candle and say a prayer just so I could be in that church um even if I didn't believe like what was going on I just wanted to be in that physical space which is why uh, like that the church that we attend because it's such a beautiful cathedral it's kind of like a little piece a little piece of what I miss it sounds like a like a whole mood 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 all about the space. I just want to add a couple quick clarifying points for anybody if if this is your first episode listening to us. Um Vicky mentioned FCC, uh, which stands for First Congregational Church, and, and that's our church in Montclair, New Jersey, which is a member of the United Church of Christ. Um, and for those who are on the evangelical end of the spectrum, um, the I guess some some common vernacular in American churches is you have high church and low church, and high church traditions tend to be your Catholic and Episcopalian churches. Low church traditions tend to be your uh, Protestant, like um, uh, evangelical, sorry, uh, evangelical, your Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches, etc. And our current church is um, kind of somewhere in between those, uh, the high church and low church traditions. So yeah. kind of just wanted to paint a picture for those of you who are listening and, and are like, well, FCC, what is that? Or um, what's with the, the different styles of churches? So it's a gorgeous and church. It is pretty, and it's mainline, and mainline churches follow some liturgy, and I know Reverend Ann is, uh, comes from a Catholic background, so that's been nice for you, Vicki, as like some sort of transition, because it must be quite a change from a Catholic to a Protestant church, but I don't want to get too far off track with that. Um, thanks for bringing that up, Nate. I was wondering, actually getting into a more difficult question, I don't know how, how you guys will find this one, but what are the hardest parts for you? of leaving Catholicism or of these shifts in your views that you've taken? What, is, what has been the most difficult part of changing and shifting? You wanna go first? Yeah, sure. So for me, the biggest thing was um, getting married um, because my grandmother really wanted me to get confirmed so that I could get married in a Catholic church because that's really important to our family because we've been Catholic for probably hundreds of years, um, if not longer. Um, and I broke faith. <laughs> I broke the tradition and, and got married in a Protestant church. And um, as far as I know, I'm probably one of the first people to do that in my family. Um, so that was really hard. But I think now, and Emily, you could talk about Nanny probably better than I could because you see her a lot more now. But I feel like Nanny doesn't really care <laughs> that much. <laughs> I think it was probably a bigger deal when I was growing up. And like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't think it's, it's, a, it's that much of a big deal. I think the big thing now for her and, and also for my grandfather who passed away um, a few years ago was he, I had completely moved away from Catholicism and, and all religion. And he my grandpa asked me to like just start to build a relationship with God again while he was on his deathbed. And I was a little skeptical and he was like, no, 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 you don't have to be Catholic. Like if you don't want to go to a Catholic church, that's fine. Just like go to church. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, well, I, I don't care. I'm going to die. Like whatever. <laughs> just, just have a relationship with God. You know how grandpa was. He, <laughs> he was very funny. Um, and I miss him so much every day I think about him. And he was one of the reasons why I started going to FCC because he wanted me to have a relationship with God. So I guess the things that I miss or the things that were the hardest for me were getting married, not in a Catholic church. And then also like, I'm not going to be able to like go to church with my grandparents anymore. But that's, that's because... What I kind of feel the same way though. Like, I think the hardest part was 
um, not being able to go with them or talking about it with them. Cause like also it got to the point where my confirmation name was both my grandfather's middle name, which was like super special to both of them. And they like adored it. And like, I think that's something that I I definitely miss the most is just like spending that time with them because it, it got, it was at a point where you just went because it made them happy and you could see like, and start to learn about something that made them so happy. Um, and it was very, they were very proud of it, but going back to nanny, I think, um, she's still very religious. Um, but I think it's at a point where she, for such like an, I mean, I don't, I hate to call her so old, but she's a pretty old lady, um, who grew up in the city, super Irish. And you would think that she'd be very conservative, but she's not. She realizes and recognizes the issues that are happening in the Catholic church. She still goes just to prayer. Like she'll watch it on TV because I think again, it's kind of like a meditative thing for her, but she's not mad that, um, you know, like, I don't go to Mass anymore. We don't even talk about Mass, really. She talks about the issues that are arising in, from the Catholic Church. Um, but I don't think she was ever mad about you getting married not in a Catholic Church. Um, I guess maybe she it was something that would have been expected, but it wasn't really an issue to her, from my understanding. Um, because at the end, at the end of the day, she's just the kind of person who wants to make sure you're happy and you're okay with doing with what you want to do. Not to mention she also got divorced and we've talked about this. Like she got divorced in a very radical time for women, especially getting divorced and like raising a family in a Catholic church. That's a huge deal. So I don't, I don't think she'd ever be mad about that. She's kind of just does her own thing and wants to make sure everyone's cool with what they're doing. I, I've noticed you both mentioned uh, the elements of the Catholic Church and what you missed um, that tied into communal stuff, feeling connected with your family, doing that, you know, with your grandparents, your nanas um, and your, your grandfathers and how special that was. Um, so I was wondering, has your changes in beliefs done the opposite in any ways of connecting you better with others? Is that is there a flip side to that in terms of I don't know if either of you wanted to elaborate on if any of your changes in beliefs have helped you better connect to people? I think definitely because it's so easy to be so judgmental of people when you're raised in a strict Catholic church and like you're believing this faith and everything. And I think, I mean, maybe Vic, you feel different about this, but I think there was no sense of like family, right? There was no sense of family time growing up. That wasn't really a thing, right? Like our grandparents were our family. Mm -hmm. They were like our big role models in our family. So when we got to spend time and learn about what makes them so happy and proud, it was a time for us to be with our family, right? Like that was our family time to be with them. Um, but I definitely think that like going away from it, um, it's easy to not judge people because it like the Catholic church just makes you judge people so hard. I remember like, I only want to be friends with people who are Catholic. Cause that was cool. Me too. And I'm just oh. like, what is up with that? Like, <laughs> I don't know. also for a very long time before we moved to Vernon, you were very young when we moved. So you probably don't remember, but um, I didn't know that, th that you could not be Catholic and still be a Christian. I just thought that that was the only way to be Christ Christian was to be Catholic. And then we moved to Vernon and there were other um, 
Protestant churches. Um, and I remember talking to one of our neighbors and being like, oh, we go to like this church. Where do you go to church? And he was like, um, uh, I go to the Lutheran church. And I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, it's, it's the, I'm Lutheran. It's the church that I go to. And meanwhile, like I was just, I, I couldn't understand. So I went home and I asked my dad, I was like, what, what is a Lutheran? And he was like, oh, they're like fake Catholics. And like, you don't really want to associate with them because they're, there is the Catholic Church, and then a bunch of people didn't like it, so they just like threw out a bunch of the rules and made their own rules, and they're fake. So it's not real. They're not really observing, like, real Christianity. And so that, and he was like, and you know, you know what? Like, he's probably not going to understand what you're talking about either. And I really didn't want to be friends with anyone who wasn't who's Catholic. Fake. <laughs> yeah, who's fake or who's like some made up religion or like a cult or what? Like, I just didn't understand it. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was a little kid, um, I had two cousins who were Catholic. Their family was very devout, and my family were devout Baptists. And, and my Sunday school, we were told that Catholics were not real Christians. So I fully believed that it was the Catholics who were who were not the real Christians. Nanner, nanner, nanner. We did it to you guys too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so weird right and now that i'm not like in that sort of mindset of like you have to be this one way i can be friends with like anybody i can be friends with like um you guys i can be friends with people who are in the evangelical faith like still are not like i could be friends with jews i can be friends with muslims i could be friends with buddhists like anyone i could be friends with like anyone and i'm not like oh well they're going to hell or like they're doing it wrong or <laughs> like there's something wrong with them like maybe if i just talk to them about my church like it'll change their mind i it you know it's it just doesn't it's not even a thing anymore so that's been one thing that's been really great is it's expanded my views on who i can be friends with and just going off of that really quick, what I think is interesting is, um, like, if you take our, like, our family, right? Like, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, none of them are religious. Like, if you look at our uncles, especially, like, our mom's brothers, they all grew up in the same household with my nanny and grandpa, but they're not religious at all. At yeah. all. And even, like, my mom's cousins like Katie and Liz and Mark, all of them, they're not religious either. And I think that's kind of interesting because they grew up in such a strict religious circle unit. And now they're all just like, no, we're just, this isn't part of our life anymore. But they do all of the rites. Like they've, they got married in Catholic churches, I think, and they baptized their children in the Catholic church. So it's, it's like cultural Catholicism as opposed to spiritual Catholicism. And I'm not sure if that, um, I don't want to bad talk anybody, but, um, we can cut it out and just say it and we can cut it out later. I don't know if people are doing that to make themselves look good or if it's for the family. I don't know. Yeah. It's just an interesting thing because to me, it's like, why, like, I know when I have kids, I'm just, they can do whatever they want. I'm not going to enforce anything because why would I do that to them? Right? Like, I'm not going to get them baptized for what and then i won't go to church with them and then they can just relive everything i did and make them feel guilty it's i don't know i just it's yeah. interesting yeah well i mean you there's other churches 
where yeah the guilt is not so much of a factor so that's that's one thing that like mike and i have talked about a lot is like when we have kids do we want to raise them in the church after going through like everything that we went through and knowing nate and gail and like it can be very toxic but there are there are churches that are very positive and do have really great youth programs that are just positive and inclusive so but that's a personal choice you know you shouldn't feel like God is making you baptize your children or not. Right. But then there's also some of that guilt left over, right? If I were to go to a different type of church, mm-hmm. I would be... Yep. Um, not. I wouldn't be loyal to the Catholic Church. Like, it's just... It, to me, it's too much of a guilt trip where it's like I can't even... If I want to make a full disconnection, it's just going to be full disconnection. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Like just how it impacts different people uh, differently in terms of, do you want like to just cut it off entirely? Or is there a different hybrid <laughs> of your faith? You know, what you keep and what you get rid of. And I know for me, leaving evangelical church and going to FCC was a healing thing. But I know I have a lot of friends, um, the ones we interviewed on a previous podcast who came out of evangelicalism are not in any church at all anymore. Yeah. And that's what some people really need to do to make a clean break and to like, they just need to stop going to church. But like, yeah, different people have different journeys. I was wondering, as you guys are both talking about um, how it's opened you up to having friends of, you know, all different kinds of backgrounds and not just sticking to Catholic friends and making you less judgmental. Aside from the judgmentalism, is there any other teachings that caused you, like, what were the teachings that you think caused you the most harm as a Catholic? Definitely the abortion thing and the divorce thing, because I think about growing up as a young woman and being like, well, the only way that I can like, the only way that I can have sex, right, as an adult is to be married, number one. Yeah. If I decide to do that out of wedlock, then I need to get married immediately <laughs> or I'm like a sinner um, and I can't get an abortion. And so I, it, and also when you get married, you can't get divorced. So it's really like the woman has absolutely no autonomy over her body and her reproductive there's like no reproductive rights for women um so that was hard and it didn't really jive with the idea that jesus um was someone who looked out for um like prostitutes and beggars and you know all the all the lowest class of people i don't think jesus would be like no don't don't get an abortion because every every life is a sacred life at conception. Like, I just don't think that that was something that Jesus the man would have said. Um, And so growing up, I had this, there's just this tension between my um, appreciation of the teachings of Jesus and then (laughs) the teachings of the church, which are like completely (laughs) man-made as I grew, as I learned more about them. It it just didn't make any sense for me. Um, So I felt like, as a woman, it's it's particularly difficult to be Catholic because it's so restrictive. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I was so restrictive with everything in my day-to-day life to the point where I was like, I this is the purest form of myself. I can be a nun now. Like, <laughs> to me, just looking back on that, that is absolutely insane. That is so crazy that I didn't do a lot of things that regular high schoolers did. And I was like, looking back, I excluded myself from so 
so much because I was so pure and I wanted to be a nun. And that was my calling in life. I remember waking up one day and I was like, this is my calling. I have to be a nun. I'm leaving the country and I'm going to go be a nun somewhere. And I'm getting away and starting my new life as a nun. Where you live in isolation, praying every day. Mm. And like looking back on that, I think that's insane because that I would... I can't sit still for more than 20 minutes without talking. How would I do that? It's just, it was so mind blowing to me. And like, you had to be like this perfect woman, right? In order to be a perfect Catholic, you have to be so perfect. And like, you have to just be quiet and polite and sit still and don't drink, don't have sex, get married, but stay in that marriage. And if you're not happy, you still have to stay in that marriage. Or if you get divorced, then you're out. Yeah, and I believe divorce is still illegal in Ireland. Like, you can't get... I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe they changed it recently, but for a really long time. I think it was a very recent change, like early yeah. 2000s or something like that. Yeah, divorce was illegal and abortion was illegal because it was a ca very Catholic nation. Um, and so a lot of that kind of carried over. So I'm hearing, like, perfectionism, uh, lots and lots of rules for you, Emily. Those were the, the things that kind of the... The beliefs that caused you a lot of harm that kind of kept you back from growing mm -hmm. um and and vicky for you a lot of the the restrictiveness towards women and the rights of women and the autonomy over their own selves were the things that that caused you a lot of harm yeah um what would you like to see i mean maybe you've answered this maybe you can say like kind of by explaining what caused me harm i think you might guess what direction i'm gonna go but if you could if you were capable of giving input into the Catholic Church to make a difference, if you could make it change in a way that you would like to see it change, what direction would you like to see Catholicism go? How would you like to see the church change? I think, honestly, I would just like to see more, it to be more inclusive, right? And more accepting, because you learn how accepting Jesus was to everybody. But if you're a follower of him, you can't be... Uh, accepting of certain things. And I thought that was just so interesting. Like you learn about how, like one of the biggest stories that stuck out to me was like Jesus and a leper. And that was like such a touching story to me. And it was like, wow, like this is amazing. Like he would even go hug a leper and hang out with them, make sure they're okay to heal them. But then if say like a 21st century Catholic were to do that, you'd be like, why are you doing that and endangering yourself? And like, this isn't pure and this isn't good. And I think a lot of it, like I said before, it, it contradicts itself a lot, right? Like you're supposed to be so helping and outgo like reaching out to help people. But then if you want to be yourself, you're going to be judged for it as well. Yeah. If I could change something in the church, it would definitely be um, number one to allow women to hold leadership roles to be priests um because the only reason like i did a little bit of research into this the only reason that women are not allowed to be priests um in the catholic church is because um according to the canonical bible jesus only had men as um, apostles which if you are familiar with um the Gnostic Gospels, <laughs> um, Mary was Jesus's closest confidant and and wrote a lot about um, his teachings in her own in her own words. And um, those those Gospels were not put into the Bible later on. And 
it's just interesting that like if you look at it through the lens of like the gospel of Mary and like how how Jesus and Mary's relationship was so important to Jesus's um, uh, progression as um, as the man that he be- he later became and and you know if you consider him the son of God as the son of God like he really his journey his spiritual journey helping people and um, doing good on earth a lot of it was because of his relationship with Mary and yet she gets cut out. Um, from most of the Bible. And for a very long time, she was seen as a prostitute because of some rumor <laughs> that some priest like made up because he didn't want women in leadership roles in the church. And um, it's really hard to know all that. And most likely the Pope knows that. And most likely a lot of bishops know that and priests know that. And yet they're like, yeah, but it doesn't matter. This is how we do things. Um, I know that our Pope now is a Jesuit. He's a little bit like more cool. I think the our recent Pope is um, a little more like pushing like better ideals, I guess you could say. And he's a lot more accepting to his yeah. followers. Because yeah. there has also been a huge decline in Catholic followers, right? Like if you see... The data spread of how many people are Catholic from like 30 and up versus 30 and below. A lot of people aren't raising their children to be Catholic anymore because of how controversial it is. Yeah. I I mean, if the Catholic Church just made some simple changes, like relaxed their restriction on women leadership, relaxed their restriction on divorce, relaxed the the restriction on abortion, and we're just more inclusive of like women in general and saw women as like partners as opposed to homemakers and mothers. And that's like your role is just like your mom. That's what you can do or or a wife. Um, If they were able to do that, then I would have probably no problem going back to the Catholic church, but because they're so restrictive. And also the other thing I want to say is aside from women, I think priests should be able to get married. So, and then being more inclusive towards the LGBTQ community, because there's a huge swath of priests that are closeted gay men. So it's the rules and the structure worked for a really long time, and I don't think they're working anymore. Thank you guys for for sharing. I did kind of want to comment a little bit on the similarities um, between my upbringing and, and yours. I mean, like you had mentioned the WWJD bracelets. Um, I remember all of that. I mean, I lived, I grew up in a, a very conservative Baptist environment. And I, I remember fully believing all through high school and into college um, that the best way to live the ideal Christian life is to abstain from all of those quote unquote worldly pleasures. Um, like, you know, I I just I I resonated with so much of what of what you were saying. Um, I did kind of want to uh, touch a little bit on um, your thoughts, and I th- you already kind of hit on it a little bit. Um, your thoughts on the current pope, um, given that that's probably the main difference between what I grew up with and what you grew up with. I mean, there are obviously the little cosmetic differences throughout our our different versions of Christianity, but. The big difference is the um, the deference to the Pope. Um, what is it like for you when you see a Pope that has a vastly different message from, let's say, the 
a previous pope or, or previous popes. How do you work through that, especially given the fact that the current pope seems to lean very heavily in the social justice direction, where others before him uh, definitely did not? I mean, for me, I think it's great. Um, he's a Jesuit, which is my favorite kind of theology, because it it's it leans very heavily into social justice and giving back to the community, which, Emily, I think you, you expressed as like one of your favorite parts of Catholicism is the volunteer work and helping those who are most in need and really doing the work of Jesus. So as a as a pope who is a Jesuit, I think that's really important. He's also the first Jesuit pope ever, um, which is crazy. Yeah, crazy, 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 crazy. Because for a long time, the Jesuits were excluded. They were banned from a, like many countries in Europe, which is you know, where Catholicism started. <laughs> so um, their radical ideas of like helping poor people and helping, you know, single moms and, and women and um, helping people who need it most are, I think, not so radical anymore in, in terms of like world overall views. And so I think it's great. I think we're moving in the right direction. But again, like I haven't been in the Catholic church in a really long time and it's probably going to take a while um, and a lot of changes for me to go back. Just like really quick, touching on, I don't know if we described what a Jesuit is, um, but they're just basically, from my understanding, I don't think there's been a lot of like Jesuit women because there's the Sisters of Charity, which are the girl version of Jesuits. So I went to a Sisters of Charity college where it used to be an all-girls school until the 70s. And then boys were allowed to go in, but it's still mostly girls because they push girls to volunteer and like give back to the community. But the Jesuits are like men. A lot of them are tra training to become a priest and they're learning like how to be like Jesus in ways of like giving back to the community. And it's, it's more geared towards helping those in need in case no anybody didn't know what that meant. <laughs> Like you said, Jesuits are only men. You cannot be a female and be a Jesuit. Yeah. So, and even though the, there um, are certain organizations that are run by the Jesuits that include women, like the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, as a as a volunteer, as a youth volunteer, you cannot then go on to become a Jesuit priest as a woman. So it's, it's still restrictive, even though it's like more progressive than it was previously. That's really fascinating. I feel like this opens up an even larger conversation that we could uh, spend so much time talking about as far as like, so one of the things that I tend to nerd out on is church history and uh, the comparative religious study. And uh, I mean, the, the relationship between Protestantism and Catholicism is one that you could, I mean, do entire college courses on which i'm sure there are plenty of them but i don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because i think we're uh, we're running up against the uh the end of our time together um emily thank you again for joining us uh, today this has been a blast um i really enjoyed this conversation me too thank you for having me <laughs> yeah well i think that about does it for today's episode thank you so much for listening if you haven't already please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and if you don't have one yet, head to don'treatthispodcast.com to see a list of all the apps that we're available on. Um, so go ahead and share the episode with your friends and family. Rate and review us on iTunes. And as Vicky likes to say, 
five star reviews get extra credit. <laughs> 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 And follow us on social media. We are at Don't Repeat This Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Don't Repeat Pod on Twitter. On behalf of my co-hosts, Gail and Vicky, I'm Nate, and this has been Don't Repeat This. So um, don't repeat this stuff at the dinner table, okay? Bye. Bye Bye-bye.